So have you noticed that there's a, a difference in the eggs? Like are some brown or some white or some like different sizes and shapes and that kind of stuff? Oh yeah. You <laughs> see some weird stuff with eggs. Like I remember the very first egg that my mom, she, she was making me like an egg. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think she was making herself, she was making someone an egg <laughs> with the very first <laughs> egg and she cracked it and she was just speechless because she, and I'd never seen this before either. It had like a... Hey guys, before the episode starts, I'd like to give a quick thanks to all my supporters. Uh, it's greatly appreciated that anyone who, who listens to this podcast supports it. It's it's, it's very uh, nice to know that people are willing to help out with this and, and that they see it to be something worth investing in. Uh, right now, it's just faith. Uh, thank you again, whoever you in, you are, um, for for you know donating to this podcast. It's by no means an obligation, so anyone listening to this, don't feel like you need to give me any, any kind of financial support for this. Um, any, any is appreciated, but again, I'm not going to ask that of you guys. I don't like to ask you guys to pay for a, a product like this. It's just something that I like to do for fun. So um, yeah, definitely not required, but but greatly appreciated when it is. I'd also like to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Anchor. Uh, there will be an ad for that halfway through, um, but Again, just thank all of you for so much for for tuning in every episode and and just giving your your undivided attention and, and support and it means so much to me. So thank all of you and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Talk Ag to Me, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host Brian Black, and in today's episode, I'm joined by yet again another consumer conversation. Um, in, in this episode, I'm going to be joined by a, a fellow podcaster of mine that I've actually been on his podcast, and we'll talk about that some more later. But uh, I'm going to start off by letting Sammy here introduce himself and tell a little bit about where he comes from and why he's uh, doing his his podcast. So, Sammy, hi. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. I um. I'm Sammy Jimenez, and I have a comedy podcast where we just play stupid games. Uh, Brandon was a really good guest, by the way. He was really cool <laughs> about it. Um, and we just play dumb games. Uh, that's basically it. It's called Sammy Saga. Just look it up if you want to watch it or listen to it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. I, I definitely have enjoyed hearing some of your episodes and not just because I was in one of them, but you know, that, that helps out too. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a lot of fun podcasts. You know, there is, there is some, some shenanigans going on, some, some crazy uh, games. It's, it's just awesome. And in my episode, I actually got to um, uh, share the episode with, with another guest and we had to uh, give a presentation off of just images and we had to make up the story as we went. It was a lot of fun. So I'd recommend you guys go check out sammy's uh podcast the sammy saga and i'll be sharing all that kind of stuff down in the description but you'll hear more about that later on for for now though we have our our own little question we want to answer so um sammy before we get into this uh because i asked all my guests this uh do you or or if you do could you kind of explain what or if you know if any background with agriculture you have yeah um i would say that i actually do uh, I don't know if it's in like the traditional sense, um, but basically like we have at my house, um, like a chicken farm. Mm-hmm. We have like a bunch of chickens, we have pigs, we have uh, ducks and we just like, you know, we farm the eggs from them and uh, eat them. So nice. we've been doing that for a couple of years. Yeah. So is this in an urban setting or is it more in the kind of like a, like a country house? 
Yeah, it's a it's definitely a a country countryside okay. type of thing. Nice. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I personally haven't worked with any any chickens. I'm more of a cattle guy, but um, yeah, no, I, I have I have a few family friends who grow chickens in their backyard. It, it sounds like a lot of fun. It is. It's fun to watch them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Uh, well, yeah. So, you know, as, as I've kind of explained to you, this podcast is all about ag education, answering questions that, that, you know, my guests have about agriculture, you know, clearing up any misconceptions, kind of just talking about stuff. So um, before we, you know, before we jump into anything, do you have any, any questions that you, you've been thinking of anything that you're curious about anything you want me to explain more? Or should I just kind of roll with it? Um, I've, I, this, this might be a little weird, but I've always wondered and I don't know how related this is to agriculture. I mean, I, I know it is, but it's like, what, what are greenhouses for? Okay. That's which is a weird question. I know, but no, it's, it's a fair question. Um, that's kind of a, a unique thing about like modern uh, plant science and crop science is that, and even like ornamental horticulture and gardening and that sort of thing. Greenhouses are kind of a, a newer development. I mean, relatively speaking, they've been around for a little while, but uh, we've been kind of developing new ways to grow uh, crops and, and, you know, different types of plants. And uh, we've been able to run tests on these different plants, even without them being in their natural environment. And the way we're able to do that is with greenhouses. So uh, greenhouses are large, well, typically large, they can be small too, but they're, they're structures that are built around creating an environment that fits whatever you need it to be. So you can put sprinklers in there and humidifiers, you can put fans, you can put, um, you know, different types of irrigation systems, different heating uh, technology, you know, and all of it is based around the idea of creating an environment that's ideal for the plant you're trying to grow. So, uh, like, let's just say that, you know, we're like, I live in California, obviously we can't grow a whole lot of tropical, uh, uh, crops here like (laughs) bananas and and coconuts, but it, because of greenhouses and because we're able to kind of, uh, replicate, you know, ideal environments, we can grow that kind of stuff. It's not easy and it takes a lot of trial and error to figure out exactly how it works, but that's kind of the idea behind the greenhouse is it allows you to, uh, replicate environments perfectly to grow things that normally shouldn't grow in those areas. And also to, to run tests on individual, um, you know, species of, of, of crops instead of trying to trust that uh, whatever you have out in the field isn't going to be affected by other environmental factors. So it's good for experiments and it's good for growing things that shouldn't be grown in, in this area. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I also live in California. Oh. Uh, and I, I see a fair amount of them, like actually at my school when, when we used to be physically there, I would see a, <laughs> a, a, a greenhouse almost every day that they just kind of had there. And I always wondered like what the actual like purpose was, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, you know, as we That's see cool. kind of newer developments, even like, you know, I'm sure you've heard of vertical farming or, you know, some, some form of it. It's kind of a newer development in agricultural technology. A lot of those practices are, are possible because of greenhouse um because of greenhouse usage so it's it's just a really i mean like i said it's it's a somewhat new development but it's it's you know still been around for a little while but some of the technology they're using for it you know for vertical farming for even like hydroponics and some of those other uh different methods of agriculture uh those are all really really cool to see and that's kind of why they've been sprouting up everywhere is because people are trying new things with with plants and with you know crop science right that's that's impressive i uh Cause yeah, I, I, I do see like a lot of them mm-hmm. and 
I've never like been in one, but I always wanted to go in one. Are they always like humid? Or I guess it just depends on the, the crop, right? Yeah, it depends on what they're growing. And most of the ones I've been in have been pretty humid because they're used for uh, mostly developing crops that can't be grown in California. And obviously it's not super humid here. Um, but it's just kind of, you know, it depends on on what the operation is. I've been in greenhouses that are, are just like California's climate, but they're testing something instead of uh, creating some kind of different environment. So it kind of just depends on where you go, but I would definitely recommend checking them out. I mean, I'm not a big crop science guy. I'm more on the animal science side, but I still love learning all kinds about, you know, crop science and technology and, and soil science and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they do it all there. It's really cool to see up close. I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you, you know, if you get the chance to, to visit a, a greenhouse, I would definitely recommend it, but have them walk you through and explain everything because it's, it's not super obvious to the, to the eye what, what's going on in there. I had to figure it out after a while. <laughs> yeah <laughs> awesome was there uh was was that was that all your all your questions on the, the greenhouse yeah i just always kind of wonder what they're for because they look yeah. really suspicious yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i i can definitely understand that they do look a little shady um yeah so uh, okay, well, that kind of ties into, you know, obviously you, you raise chickens and, you know, you're not quite as familiar with greenhouses. So are you more on the animal agriculture side of things in terms of your knowledge? Um, I would say so. Yeah. Okay. Is, it, mean, is it have like, like fruit, fruit trees, but uh, I think I know more about like the animal side. Okay. Mostly just chickens or, or all types of livestock? Um, it's a pretty small farm, so it's just uh, chickens and okay. uh, a couple ducks. We have one pig too, but it's like you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely get that. So, uh, what uh, what what do you guys do with your chickens? Do you send them off for you know for commercial production? Do you just harvest the eggs yourself and just keep the chickens until their until their time is up, or do you guys use the chickens for food? What's you know what's your kind of, or is is it just kind of like a fun backyard project? Um. It kind of started as a backyard project through my mom. She loves animals. And when we moved into this new house, it's got a lot of land around it. So she's like, why not have farm animals? So we ended up getting a bunch of chickens. I was like, okay. Um, And yeah, it started off as like a backyard backyard project. And it still kind of is, but it's just bigger and bigger. Hmm. And um, we don't kill the chickens because she's like in love with them. Some (laughs) of them have names, you know, and all that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I personally maybe would like to eat some, but I would never <laughs> tell them. Uh, but no, we just farm like the eggs. Sometimes like she'll, my mom will like sell them to her friends. Mm. Um, but mostly we have a lot. <laughs> we always have a ton. So yeah, we definitely harvest them. We get a bunch every day. Um, and of course, you know, we, we use them. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So have you noticed that there's a, a difference in the eggs? Like are some brown or some white or some like different sizes and shapes and that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you see some weird stuff with eggs. Like I remember the very first egg that my mom, she, she was making me like an egg. Mm-hmm. And then I think she was making herself, she was making someone an egg <laughs> with the very first <laughs> egg. And she cracked it and she was just speechless because she, and I'd never seen this before either, had like a double yolk. Oh, egg. there's two yolks and then she was like flabbergasted and i've never seen, i didn't even know that was possible huh. but i guess it was just like a, it was like a, it was like a regular size egg too um and then it kept happening over and over like okay i guess it's just a normal thing and then some eggs are just massive yeah 
Huh. <laughs> so, so, you know, from the agricultural perspective, do you know what causes the eggs to be different? Um, I don't know. Okay. So from, from what I've learned, like I said, I don't know a ton about the poultry industry. I'm more on the cattle side of things, but, um, from what I've learned about poultry is that the egg color, the egg, you know, size, all, you know, what's in the egg, all that kind of stuff is influenced almost entirely. I mean, some of it's genetics, but almost entirely by nutrition. So like if you have uh, chickens that are eating a certain type of diet versus, you know, some chickens that are eating a different type of diet, their eggs might be slightly different color. You know, if you feed uh, chickens a certain, because you always like the, I don't know if you've seen like the things on social media that say like, uh, you know, brown eggs are healthier for you or white eggs are healthier for you. And, right. you know, they never have any reasons why they just say that one's healthier than the other. Um, that's really not the case. I mean, I'm not sure if, if you were, I, I would assume that you were kind of, you know, familiar with that um mm -hmm. but like yeah. you know it's it, people don't, don't tend to realize that it's it's what the chickens eat that makes their eggs different colors it has nothing to do with how good the egg is for you it's still an egg you know it's still got all the same nutrients as a regular egg but um people tend to you know look for any reason to change you know oh yeah this thing is different so it must be better for you which really is not the case right i always thought i well okay i act i don't understand why uh like I get the eggs can be like different shades of like brown and stuff because mm -hmm. that's what we usually get. I don't understand what makes it what could make an egg white, like the shell like completely white. I always thought that that was just like things that were like they were processed to make them look more appealing in like the stores and stuff. Like uh, eggs, kind of. I mean, you're you're not entirely wrong. Yeah, a a big part of how food is presented in stores is based off of what the consumers are going to like. So they try to pick food that's really good looking. There's most of, most of the fruit goes, go through some kind of cosmetic thing to make them look better. Like, like oranges are typically more of a yellow color and they're spray painted orange before they get put in the store. Um, chicken eggs tend to not go through anything like that, but they will do is they'll sort through them. So if they find eggs that aren't, you know, their ideal size, weight, and color, they'll throw it out and, and they'll only take the white ones. So in that regard, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a, you know, they pick and choose which one looks the best, but they don't really do anything to make it look white. Um, from, from what I understand, it's, it's entirely diet based and I couldn't tell you what the diet is that makes it white, but um, I've, you know, from, from, you know, everything I've heard, there's just some, you know, some special diet that they give the chickens that, that produce white eggs, um, you know, that, that helps them do that. I think like Foster Farms has like this whole article on, you know, how to feed your chickens to get the, the right eggs and, and right size and all, all this kind of stuff. But um, yeah, no, it's, I mean, you're not wrong. It is cosmetic, but it's not something that they can just do in, in, in a factory somewhere. <laughs> right it's not like, like dipping the egg in white paint or something <laughs> right yeah if it was that easy then then selling eggs would be no problem but no people are i i think people are smarter than that i hope they're smarter than that <laughs> although you'd be surprised some people fall for labels that are a little out there but um yeah no that's cool so how um how long have you been uh you know out in the country with you know with your chickens doing that kind of stuff um well i think this is our third batch of like chickens okay so we've we've been doing it for i think two about two years nice. um yeah so i'm pretty like familiar like just with chickens in general i used to be like terrified of them just because claws and that <laughs> kind of stuff but yeah i'm pretty familiar with them now Cool. Yeah. No, I, I wish that I had that, that kind of experience. I, 
I, I, I think that chickens are like one of the only animals on a farm that I haven't really worked with at all. Like I've worked with pigs, I've worked with sheep, goats, you know, horses, cattle, all that kind of stuff. But I don't know why I just never really, never really got along with the chickens. They, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of like you said, there's something just kind of threatening about them. Like yeah, you could, you could drop kick sense. them over a, over a football field, but they still just scare me for some reason. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's, that's cool. So you mentioned that, you know, uh, you notice the greenhouses when when you when you're going to school. Does your school have an FFA program? Um, I I've never heard it mentioned, but I'm sure they do. Okay. Um, well, if, you, if you don't mind me asking, what what school do you or like what area are you from? I am. I'm like half away from Sacramento. Okay, so you're up north. I'm like in the Stockton. Gotcha. Okay. There's more than likely an FFA chapter up there. Um, it, it depends on your school. I mean, there's not gonna be one at every school, obviously, but Northern California has a pretty decent amount of FFA chapters. So it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, that, that might be the reason they have a greenhouse too, is for the, for the FFA kids. Right. I used to be at a different high school actually a couple of years ago. And I remember they did have an FFA program. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was much more like a rural type of uh, school. Yeah. But I remember it being there. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's that uncommon, but I haven't been at that many different high schools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. No, they're they're pretty much everywhere. I mean, California's got a pretty decent amount of them, surprisingly. So, it wouldn't surprise me if, if one of your schools had it. I mean, uh, they're, they're kind of like, seems like for every town, like let's say a town has four schools, at least one of them's going to have FFA. Right. In some case, all four of them do. In some case, none of them do. But that's kind of, you know, the average is that one, maybe two are going to have some kind of FFA program. But no, I was curious because, you know, if, if you're if you're around that, you know, that environment, you know, you see the greenhouses, and you're working with the chickens and everything. I wasn't sure if you were a part of the program or if you if you knew anything about it. Um, no, I've never been a part of an FFA program. I had the opportunity to a couple of years ago when I was at the other school because I was in a class that was, um, it was, well, I guess I kind of was, but we never, I never really did any of like the activities that you had that mm. was like optional only because I just wasn't interested in it. And I guess like the class was just, it kind of was a requirement. Um, but I remember a lot of kids being in it. It was like one of the most popular ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely um, it's definitely grown in popularity over the past few years. It's it's kind of a lot bigger than any of us thought it was going to be because I, I graduated two years ago and it was I mean it was big but it just seems to keep keep getting bigger and bigger and there's even kids in there that aren't like ag kids so that's I mean I think it's kind of cool to see I like seeing people from different backgrounds in there. Yeah, but yeah, so um, I think that kind of kind of answers my chicken. Oh, I had one more chicken question. So if you guys don't eat your own chickens, I'm, I'm assuming you still buy, buy chicken in the store and eat it there and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. We have to <laughs> buy what we don't kill. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not like completely like anti-chicken anymore. No, I mean, like I, I think, I mean, I'm the same way as my mom. I really do love animals and I love just, you know, watching the chickens just walk around. It's, it's, it's almost a painful feeling to just think of killing one, but I think, that that would i don't know i think that i could and yeah. i would want to but yeah. yeah so we have to we buy stuff from the store that's like you know poultry okay. yeah no and that's that's a natural response too i mean i used to raise cattle back in high school and i you know 
it's it's not easy having to having to let them go it's kind of just you know one of those things you, you get attached to them i mean they're still your friend they're still part of your family and you know it's, it's hard to hard to you know imagine how that process happens it's kind of just a matter of like you know understanding that that is what feeds people was kind of you know that's what always got me through it but um, no i definitely understand i mean I'm, I'm a big animal lover i love working with animals i love being around them you know they kind of kind of take all my stress away you know whenever i'm whenever i'm having a bad day i go i go and see my cows and that helps me kind of feel better um but mm-hmm. no, it's it's kind of a i definitely you know i've gotten the arguments before because you know people are are crazy and i want to judge you for everything you believe in so i've gotten the arguments before that like you know aren't you a you know if, if you if you raise your animals then you know you care for them enough to not let them die and all this kind of stuff and it's like well as much as I would like them to not die, I also like that they are feeding a lot of people. So I'm going to continue to support it. You know, it's, yeah, it's definitely not easy, but it's, it's for the best, you know, it's, it's a good idea on, on, you know, all grounds, but it is what it is. Um, I don't know. Like, have you seen any, um, like, you know, I don't know if you've, if you've experienced it personally, but have you seen like a lot of that kind of stuff on like social media or kind of like around your, area or even like up in that kind of i mean like you're close to like the, the sacramento area so have you seen like a lot of people that are like you know um how dare you you know uh raise chickens or how dare you you know say you care for these animals and then do all this terrible stuff to them and all that kind of you know nonsense um i don't see a lot of people are you talking about like towards us uh, well, I mean, just, just the idea, just in general, I don't know if you've seen it on like social media, I'm assuming you probably haven't gotten a whole lot of hate for it, but like, cause you're, you're a small operation, but I wasn't sure if you'd like seen it on social media or if you, if you like, you know, had kids at school that they were, they were unhappy about it or anything like that. Uh, no, I've not really seen anything like that, but I, I believe that there are. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm actually kind of, kind of surprised. I mean, maybe it's just cause those are the people I follow, but they seem to be everywhere, <laughs> but it, it is what it is, I suppose. Um, yeah. So. It's so I, I, I know you mentioned like just sort of like how you kind of how you relate mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, not wanting to kill the animals, but seeing the benefits. Uh, And then, you know, we're just weighing them. And I kind of used to, I want to get your opinion on this, is that like, I used to be against like hunting Mm -hmm. because of the same reason. I just didn't think that there was just a nice thing to do to the animals. Right. But seeing like, if you do like eat the animals and like use them properly, then I think, it's okay because I realized that they are going to die a pretty harsh death anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a much quicker way to die and it's, you know, they get used. So what do you think like of hunting? See, I personally support hunting. Um, I, you know, I, I don't do it much myself. I go dove hunting every, every so often, but uh, whenever I go, I just give all my doves to this guy who turns them into soup. Um, but you know, I haven't, I haven't been like, you know, deer hunting or anything, but I have family who does. And I, so the reason that I support it is, you know, like you said, they're going to, they're going to go through some pretty rough stuff through nature and, you know, we're not killing, you know, young or anything. We're killing full, you know, full grown adults. And the kind of like hunter's code is that if you don't kill it in the first shot, you need to take it down as fast as possible. Cause the entire idea is that you're not trying to make these animals suffer. So Mm -hmm. 
I, I definitely, I, I support the idea and like a good hunter knows that, you know, a good hunter knows you shoot for the heart and, and you make sure you make your, like, if you don't have a clear shot, you don't take it because you don't want to hurt the animal. It's entirely right. like, you know, they don't feel that they're out instantly or you don't shoot them at all because, you know, hunters are compassionate too. You know, they care about animals and they care about the environment and all that kind of stuff. And one of the main reasons they go hunting besides for food is also for population control. Um, there's, there's the idea that a lot of animals uh, get overpopulated super easily and they start to eat too much of the, of the land around them. And that causes a food shortage, which causes a larger uh, population drop than would be necessary. And they run the risk of extinction. And so um, there's actually been some animals that uh, were being hunted and then they got taken off the hunting list because they were, either uh, endangered or they were, you know, some environmentalists were trying to protect them, then that animal ended up getting overpopulated and their entire species almost died off. And so it's like, there's a healthy balance between overhunting and, and population control and environmental protection. And I think that there's a lot to be said about how we hunt. I mean, I think that obviously there's a, there's a, there needs to be a point where we say like, you know, we can't hunt anymore because we don't have enough deer left, but considering, you know, how much, overpopulation can happen if there's no population control it could cause more damage than it would than it would heal so i think that there's a lot of advantages in it that's really interesting i always knew that like animals could look animals uh, like uh, species of animals could take uh like they could you know just die out from being endangered but i mm -hmm. never thought that it could be the same thing but just because of overpopulation that's oh, yeah. interesting yeah, because I mean, if you think about it, like let's just say, I mean, even even in humans right now, like we're we're running a, we're running into a bit of an overpopulation issue. Because I mean, I'm not gonna say we're running out of food, but we definitely need to feed a lot more people than we used to. And the farms are getting smaller, regulations are getting larger. Like it's it's hard to it's hard to grow food anymore. And so we run the risk of eventually not having enough food for anybody. I don't think that's gonna be an issue. But if you think about that in the animal kingdom, they don't grow their own food, and they don't understand how food is grown. So if you have a bunch of deer in an area that aren't being killed off. Those deer are going to eat all of the grasses in that area. They're either going to have to move, which they can do, I guess, but there's not really anywhere for them to go or they have to stay and then die off because there's no food growing anymore. So it's better for the regulation of this, like of the species to, to maintain it instead of just letting it go out and do its natural thing and then just kill itself off instantly. Like that's the same argument with cows, how they say that like there are some people who believe that cows should be released out into the wild again. For one, they would die because they're too used to being grown domestically. But let's just say that they adapt and survive. Cows almost went extinct way back when we domesticated them because they were overgrazing and then they were running out of food. We even saw like, you know, there's like soil scientists who are saying that deserts were not entire deserts, but certain areas of land were deserted because animals are grazing too much. And it was even killing off the animal species that lived there. So there's, there's a lot to be said about how we control the population and how that both fixes the environment and maintains those animals in, in how, you know, how much of them are actually left. So I, it, it's kind of complicated stuff and the research on it isn't super conclusive, but a lot suggests that if we don't hunt or if we don't have any high population control for the animals, it could get a lot worse than it is. Right. Huh? So I definitely understand the arguments against hunting, you know, as, as an animal yeah. lover, it does seem cruel and, 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 you know, terrible and all those kind of stuff. But I've been through the hunting safety classes. I've been through all the, you know, all the regulations, all that kind of stuff. I've seen it, you know, firsthand. I've talked to hunters and all of them believe the same thing. You know, the animal is worth protecting at all costs. And it's, it's in the best interest of the animals as a species that, that, that certain animals are picked off. Right.
So I don't know. Um, why this this may be a simple question, but why do you uh, hunt for dove occasionally? Like when you, when you do, why doves? Uh, it's a similar reason. There's just a lot of dove in my area. Um, I mean, like we're never going to run out of dove. Like there's so many dove in, in my, <laughs> in my neck of the woods. So we just kind of, and it's really, uh, you know, to be completely honest, it's fun. You know, they're just, they're very easy to pick off. They don't really suffer very much. Like you just hit them once with a shotgun and they're down. Um, yeah. you can pick off a lot at once, which is fun too. You're not just, you know, hitting one animal and then you're done for the day. Um, there's still caps on it. You can't, you know, you can't shoot past a certain amount. You can't use a certain amount of, you know, tags or whatever. Um, but mostly because I just am not that great of a shot. And so dove is like one of the few things I can hit. And so my dad and I just kind of go every couple of seasons or so and just hang out with his friends and we shoot some dove. And then at the end of the day, we have a guy there who likes making dove soup. So we all, we all give our dove to him that way he can go feed his family. So it's kind of a, it's a nice little tradition we have. I mean, I wouldn't say that we're like super serious dove hunters by any means, but it's kind of just like a fun, you know, fun day out. Right. I, I only asked that because there was a spot across literally right across my my street mm -hmm. um there's like this big it's like i mean it, i mean first of all there's a big farm right across the street <laughs> but <laughs> yeah because it's california you know but um there's also like this pond um mm. and it's got a name but i won't say it and it's uh basically you can park in like this little parking lot um it's just like dirt area but you can park there and people park there all the time to go uh, dove hunting mm -hmm. and like you can literally hear the gunshots from like inside my room <laughs> oh yeah no it, it's, it's, it's very loud and it sometimes it sounds a little extensive mm -hmm. but i i don't really know i just feel like that's something i just got used to yeah uh, my dogs don't love it but <laughs> yeah no my dogs had issues with it too i mean i lived in the city and we could hear it you know way out in the country you would it would echo that far so it was i, I definitely understand what you mean when when, it, when you say it gets it gets extensive um i think it kind of just depends on the person some take it really really seriously some just like to do it for fun so uh, mm -hmm. i definitely think that there are some hunters who go a little overboard you know i think that in anything, you know, any practice in the industry, any anything, there's always going to be people who either take it too far or who who do what they're not supposed to do. Like there's right. supposed to be regulations on like how far you are from a private property before you're allowed to shoot anything. There's regulations on how many you're supposed to be able to shoot in a certain amount of time. Like there's some people who don't follow those rules, obviously, but people who do, you know, they're yeah, you can still hear the shotgun from a, a few miles away, but they're not like they're not doing it in, in a dangerous proximity and they're not killing a dangerous amount of dove, if that makes sense yeah yeah but yeah no i think that that's just, kind of sorry go ahead no yeah i was just gonna say it's something that i uh never expected to hear like on like because i think i think i don't know when the season started i think it was a couple months ago but mm -hmm. i remember as soon as it started the cars were just literally like down the road oh yeah that must be a popular spot over there we, is, we, yeah. we have a few of those but i mean almost everyone down where I came from has like their own farm or they have a friend who has a farm. So they just pretty much just go to their own property and shoot. So pretty much everyone's just like, you know, free for all out there. But <laughs> no, if you're in an area where there's like a really big farm and everyone's invited, then you're not getting any sleep for a while, <laughs> but it is what it is. Um, so I'm guessing you've never been hunting then. I really want to, <laughs> I really want to, I, I would say, out of everything that I've, which I haven't, you know, shot anything besides dove, but out of everything that I have uh, been told about and have practiced on, and dove is by far the easiest. 
Is that just because they're like, why is that? It's hard to say. I mean, I guess just because like they have a very, very predictable pattern. You know, they fly into the trees, they fly out of the trees. You can kind of tell what time they'll be out. They're super easy to hit because they're just a, kind of like a slow moving, you know, target. Um, I don't know. They're just, I, I don't know what it is about them. If they're just, you know, too predictable or if they're fat or if they're just like a large tar- target with a shotgun or, or what the case is. But all I know is that everyone I talk to says that dove hunting is like the most casual, like laid back hunting that you can have. Like, you know, it's super easy. If you, if you know how to shoot a shotgun, it's just like, you know, they're out of the sky instantly throw them in the back of your truck and then you're good to fire up for the next one. So it's kind of just like, I don't know. That's kind of the one that I've always been told to start with. And that's kind of the one I, I did start with, but maybe some other hunters have some different opinions. Right. So I always thought it'd be like super scary to go like hunting for like big game, you know, like oh, uh, yeah. elk or something. Well, first of all, elk are terrifying. I never realized how, how big they were, but. Oh, they're huge. <laughs> Humongous. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be caught in a force like of a... one of those guys. <laughs> yeah. It's like a joke. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. No. It's, it, that would be so scary for me because I couldn't imagine like it seeing me and then it just like, I mean, they don't, what do they, what do they eat? Elk, they mostly eat vegetation. Like they'll eat grass and, and, you know, other plants around the area, some forages. And they're that muscular from that, huh? Well, they do a lot of running. <laughs> <laughs> they're actually one of the few ruminants who are more muscular than they are fat. Ooh. So I don't know if you know what a ruminant is, but no, I don't. What is that? So a ruminant is, is a, so ruminant systems describe like a digestive system of an animal. Um, so for example, we're monogastric, which means we have one stomach. A ruminant has a four chambered stomach. It's still one stomach, but you know how they say like cows have like four stomachs. Yeah. Well, they actually only have one stomach, but it has four separate chambers. Whereas we have one stomach that does one job. So let's just take, you know, I mean, the same goes for all ruminants, but I'm just going to use cows as an example because they're probably one of the easiest to understand. Um, so whenever a cow eats, you know, they, they chew their, their, their food, their grass, you know, whatever it is, um, and then they swallow it. It goes into their four-compartment uh, four stomach. So the first compartment is called the reticulum, and that's kind of like a honeycomb-looking thing. And basically what that, what that part of the stomach does is it catches all of, like, the stuff that they're not supposed to be eating. So like, let's say they eat grass and they accidentally pick up a piece of plastic or some, or some metal fencing or something like that. That uh-huh. reticulum will catch it so they don't get sick because let's just say a nail gets swallowed and a nail punctures part of their stomach. Well, now they can get a disease that can kill them pretty, pretty quickly. So that reticulum is there to try to prevent that from happening. And so that's kind of the first stop, you know, the the food goes through there. If nothing gets caught then it moves on to the rumen, which is the largest part. It's about 60% of the whole stomach. And the rumen is kind of the first part where stuff gets digested. It gets broken down, turned into like this mush and then gets rolled back into a ball called a bolus and then the bolus gets coughed back up. So if you ever see cows coughing, that's because they're coughing up their food so they can chew it again and then swallow it again. So <laughs> they're, really? they're interesting animals. And all, all ruminants do this. Sheep, goats, um, you know, deer, elk, uh, anything that has a four-chambered stomach is a ruminant and, it, and it, it eats this way. So they regurgitate their food, they swallow it back down, it goes through the, the rumen again, and then goes through the omasum where all the water and, and other like, liquids gets taken out of it. So it gets dried and then it gets sent to the abomasum, which is like the true stomach. That's where all the digestion happens. That's where like all the nutrients are absorbed. And then it goes through the small intestine, the large intestine, and then it goes out, um, which I know is a lot to take in. But uh, 
So no, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So cows, sheep, goats, you know, deer, elk, all of them eat that way. The difference is that cows, sheep, and goats tend to be uh, less muscular just because they're stationary. They don't have to run. They don't have to do anything. They can just kind of sit and chew on stuff. And also, have you ever seen like a cow chewing its cud? Um, no. Okay. Do you know what chewing its cud means? I do not. <laughs> okay. I just got, I just got to make sure. But, um, yeah. So when they're chewing their cud, that's when, like, if you ever see a cow, like, just like sitting in, in a field, like just chewing, like he's not chewing on anything. He's just chewing. Oh yeah. That is them chewing their cud. And what happens is they cough up that bolus I mentioned earlier and they chew on it again and then swallow it again. So if they're just chewing, then that means that they're, they're digesting properly. And not just that, they're also calm. So if you see them chewing, then they're at their calmest state. They're not, you know, they're not annoyed. They're not aggravated. They're just kind of chilling. So when you take them, who just live very stationary lifestyles and they just kind of hang out, versus deer and elk who are constantly on the run away from predators, it creates a bit of a, a difference in terms of their, their musculature. So, and also, yeah. you know, with, with a lot of cows and, and steers, um, we don't really have like bulls are really muscular because they have a lot of testosterone going through them. Cows and steers don't have hardly any testosterone going through them. So they're very, very fat right. with, with deer and elk. Um, they have testosterone going through them and they're constantly running and they're constantly fighting. And, you know, they're kind of like, I mean, I mean, I guess you could say bucks are basically the bulls of like the deer and the elk and all that kind of stuff, but they're, they're very like, I wouldn't say aggressive animals, but they're very active animals. Like they're always moving. They're always fighting. They're always running away from, from predators. So like they're building up muscle, like from day one, basically. Right. So that, that would explain like, even though they eat the same thing that, that a cow eats, they're way more toned. Why does, why does a cow or like all those like animals like sheep and cows, why do they have that first part of the stomach mm-hmm. that like, like you said, just make sure that they don't die from eating something dumb because I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that like if they were in the wild mm-hmm. and they were like thriving, that they would be eating plastic and stuff like that. Well, I think they originally evolved to have that part of their stomach um, after eating things that their digestive system just didn't need. So probably like bark and, you know, rocks and other, other stuff that their, their digestive system just can't handle. Um, so I think that's where it started. And then now it's just kind of like since we, um, since we domesticated them and they've kind of adapted to our newer technology, it's probably just gotten stronger to be able to handle like metal and plastic and that sort of thing is my guess. Um, I don't know for sure. I'm not sure if there's been a whole lot of uh, looking into that, but from what I've seen from like the evolutionary biology of cattle, it seems to be that it's just gotten a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger to be able to handle like newer types of materials, but mostly it was used for like rocks and, and stuff like that. I see. Okay. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then also since we're on the topic of digestive systems, um, and pigs and horses are very different than, than cattle and all of them, even if they eat very similar things, they have a very different way of digesting it. So horses, for example, have what's called a modified monogastric system, uh, which means that they have a single they have a single stomach just like we do. Like their 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 digestive system is exact same all the way until right before uh, where you know their their uh, waste comes out. I'll put it that way. <laughs> um, so they have a part of their stomach called the cecum, or it's actually part of the large intestine, um, and their cecum is really 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 big, like way bigger than ours. And not just because they're horses, it's bigger than, than it naturally would be if they were our, our size. Um, 
and that cecum is for uh, fermentation. So after they eat all their grass and all their hay and all that kind of stuff, go through the whole system, they ferment it, and then that's how they collect their nutrients because their stomach isn't as strong as ours to be able to just suck the nutrients out. So that fermentation is used to kind of break it down to an even further degree to kind of digest certain like bacteria and stuff like that. They give it a very, very strong like antibiotic gut. That's why horses have a hard time getting sick because they have really strong like immune system because of the amount of bacteria they're able to absorb from the fermentation. So, yeah, so then they, they, they pass it and all that kind of stuff. Why they had developed that, I'm not really sure. My sister would know. She's the horse expert, but I don't really know why they have a, you know, a need to ferment. Um, it just kind of happened, I guess. But pigs, on the other hand, uh, have you heard of, like, pig transplants? Mm, no. Okay. So pigs actually have the closest internal biology to humans. Like, we have the same heart, we have the same valves, we have the same stomach, we have the same, like everything in them is almost identical to our own. So there oh, are- Oh, I think I know what you mean. Yeah, so there are actually some transplants, they're called, um, uh, how are they called? They're like xeno, uh, like a xeno plant or something like that. I can't remember what the actual term is off the top of my head. Um, it, it basically means that they take like the heart out of a pig and put it in a human, or they take like the valves out of a pig and put it in a human or a stomach out of, you know, and it works. You know, there's actually been like- Sure, the body can reject it, but they do the same thing to a human donor. So they actually found a way to make, uh, you know, pig transplants work. And it's kind of, kind of amazing when you think about it, you know, like we can use pigs to, to, to cure human illnesses just because of how xenotransplantation, that's what it's called. Um, sorry, I just, I just remembered. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so, so pigs, you know, they digest just like we do. They have the exact same stomach as us and they even have the same everything else is us too. So, you know, if, if like, let's just say you have a heart condition, you can have a pig heart in you. <laughs> I've heard of people doing that. I always wondered why pigs. Yeah. It's, it's because they're one of the few animals in the world that actually have a, a, a biology that's, that's so close to ours that the body will actually accept it as, as their own. Hmm. So if that doesn't uh, keep you up at night, I don't know what will. <laughs> So, like, if we're that close to pigs, how, like, what do pigs really eat? Because I know it's really just, like, mush, like, in, like, the farm, like, the actual farms. Because mm-hmm. we have a pig, but I don't think, I think it's a little different from, like, actual big farms. Like, what's actually in a pig's diet? So, pigs can have different types of diets depending on the operation. Um, pigs are actually omnivores, so they can eat meat and and plant material. Uh, you usually don't want them to eat meat because it causes some behavioral issues that they eat meat. Uh, they can kind of go into a frenzy, which is not good. Ooh. But if you like most pigs get like a, like a mix of, you know, soybeans and, and some grain and some, some forages and stuff like that. Um, it kind of just depends on what they're going for. But the idea behind the pig is to, is to get a healthy, uh, fat to, excuse me, fat to muscle uh, ratio. So they usually feed them some, some soybeans, some corn, you know, some other stuff that can kind of fatten them up. And then they give them some, some protein to really beef up their muscle. And then that's kind of their, their diet. So it kind of just depends on, on what the operation can afford. Sometimes they'll feed them just like junk, you know, they'll feed them like grapes and carrots and stuff like that because they can handle it. Um, but it kind of just depends. So it's, it's hard to say like definitely, but I know they have like grain and corn and stuff like that and some soybeans and, you know, other stuff. Right. Okay, yeah, because I know that, well, since, since you mentioned that we're kind of just similar, I just wonder how similar could they eat then to us? 
You yeah, know? I mean, really, you could feed them anything a human eats, and they could probably digest it just fine. <laughs> just toss them a Snickers bar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I honestly don't see why not. I mean, if we're that similar, they probably handle it just fine. It might take them a little while. They might have the runs for a few days, but <laughs> it, it might work. I actually know that there are some uh, farmers who who feed their um, they're not farmers like slaughterhouses. They actually feed uh, cattle like chocolate and stuff like that before they before they slaughter them because it lowers their stress levels. Oh, really? Yeah. And have you ever heard of Wagyu beef? Mm, no. Okay, so Wagyu beef is like super, super, super expensive, like exotic meat. It's like only only in Japan. They won't even let us take any of their bulls to, to breed them because they want to have the only exotic meat in the world. And these Wagyu animals are treated so well. Like, they're treated better than most Japanese citizens, pretty much even better than most American citizens. Like, the entire lifespan of, of the Wagyu bulls and, and cows and steers is they get hand fed beer, like handmade beer and they get <laughs> massaged all day until it's time to go to bed. No way. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Like they get like the, the absolute pamper treatment until it's time for them to, to go to bed. And in the morning they start all over again and <laughs> it's, it's supposed like the best meat in the world. What kind of what kind of animals do they do that on? Do uh, they're all meat? cattle. It's oh, wow. you know, so like like you know bulls and cows and that kind of stuff. It's all just it's a it's a it's a specific breed of of cattle. It's they're wagyu animals. Um, yeah, no, they are they're something else. I've never had a chance to t- to try them because like one steak is like hundreds of dollars. But wow, they are like supposedly like the best steaks ever because. If feeding them the beer and massaging them for for 24 hours a day uh, lowers their stress level so much that the meat is like more tender than than should be possible. Like, because you can only lower stress level stress levels so much with with modern agricultural practices. Not that they're high or anything; they're actually really really good compared to how they used to be. But while our, while our beef is tender, theirs is like melt in your mouth kind of tender. It's it's wild. You're making me hungry now. <laughs> this sounds <laughs> good. Yeah, no, I really want to try it. I, I don't have the, the money to fork over for it, but I would die to try a Wagyu uh, burger. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's really interesting. Wow. Yep. So any more, uh, any more questions for me? Yeah. Okay, so like we have a Burger King really close to us. I don't, I don't eat at Burger King that often. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it was them that that like said that they have like the impossible burger yeah i think it was them and it has zero actual meat i think that's what they what's that's what that's what it was mm-hmm. i haven't i don't think i've tried it but what do you think like how would it would it taste the same or like what goes into the burger instead do you so think? the burger itself is made out of mostly like soy and tofu and other like protein supplements. I haven't personally tried one yet. I'm not opposed to it. Um, I don't particularly agree with the idea of it just because it's the entire campaign is to try to get rid of um, animal agriculture, which I'm against, but it's still, you know, it's still farmers at the end of the day. It's still food produced by a farm. So I'm not against it. It's just that I don't think that the, the, the statement behind it is, is necessarily worth supporting, but I've never tried the burger. I mean, I will at some point. I've just I've I've been told by many different people that it tastes just like it. I've also been told it tastes nothing like it. So I have no idea what to believe. Um, I just know that it's made up a lot of like protein supplements that are supposed to give the same nutritional content as a hamburger, but it's 
I, I guess it's just, you know, the, literally the, the only difference from what I've been told is just, it makes you feel better about yourself, I guess. Like there's <laughs> not really anything about it that is significantly different. I've been told it like, but I've also been told that like grass fed burgers taste different than grain fed. I don't know if that's true either. Um, it's hard to say for sure what is truly different about it, but the nutritional content seems to be exactly the same. Um, the way they produce it seems to be fairly similar in terms of like how they actually produce the the burger. You know, they take like like ground up versions of the ingredients and mix them all together and that kind of stuff. But um, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd be interested in trying it and seeing how it sounds. I've had this conversation with a couple of people before and they all ask me the same thing. Like, what do you think about it? You know, is it, is it a bad idea? And I always tell them the same thing. It's like, I don't want to support it. But I, I, you know, it's agriculture, so it's fine. I don't really care. It's just kind of, I think the, I think that anytime you politicize food, it gets kind of dangerous. Yeah, but that makes sense. But yeah, I, no, I, I, I would, I would definitely want to try that too. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to one day. I'm gonna have like a day of like just trying all the weird, you know, weird foods like grass-fed beef and the Impossible Burger and like the lemongrass burger and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, which I'm sure you've heard about the lemongrass burger. I haven't heard of that one. What is that? Okay. So Burger King actually like, this is just a couple months ago. Burger King released this commercial for the new lemongrass burger that they've been advertising. Basically it's, it's this burger that was produced from cows who ate nothing but lemongrass their entire life. And apparently lemongrass makes it so the cows don't fart as much. And Mm which is supposed to like reduce uh, methane emissions is supposed to like be cleaner for the earth and all this kind of stuff, which there's very little evidence to show that's actually the case, but that's beside the point. Um, This entire commercial was talking about how like, you know, everything that's going on in the animal agriculture industry is terrible and how it's causing all this pollution and it's, you know, it's destroying the environment. Well, we have a burger that doesn't do that. And so they, they advertise the entire thing, which raised a couple questions for me. First of all, if just that burger is better for the environment and the whole rest of their menu isn't, then why are they, why are they selling that burger and and trying to devalue the rest of their menu? And also where did they get the idea that, that, you know, lemongrass is the cure to climate change? I don't know, but anyway, (laughs) I wasn't sure. Cause like that, that one was kind of like, you know, it was a similar idea as the impossible burger. So I hadn't, I wasn't sure if you heard the, the commercial for that one. I have not. No. But I, I see, I see how that would work. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, I might try it one day. I don't know. I heard it tastes terrible. Like I, I haven't met anyone who likes it yet, but I might have to try it just to see. I've I've tried a similar one. I don't remember where, um, but it did not taste good to me. It it tasted like it wasn't me. I oh. I just could tell, you know. Yeah. That's why I really want to try it just to see how much I almost want to just like give it to like my brother and don't (laughs) tell him that it's not me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, I've seen commercials where, or like, I've seen like videos where they blindfold somebody and they give them a a regular burger and, and the, the impossible burger and they tell them to to see if they can tell the difference. And in, in the video, obviously they can't, you know, or else I wouldn't be showing the video. I don't know how accurate that is though, because I've heard so many mixed opinions on how it actually tastes. Yeah, I so just I'm, need to like slather it with ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might have to might have to do a little test with it and just just see if it's worth it's if it's worth what it says. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, did you um did that kind of answer your answer your question? All right. Yeah, I was just wondering what what you thought what you thought of it because uh, 
I always wanted to try it, but I never knew like anything like behind it. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes sense of uh I don't know, I guess I guess that a lot of companies just are trying to like appeal to like different demographics. Mm-hmm. The ones that really don't want to eat meat, but <clears throat> if it tastes the same, <laughs> right? I think that's kind of ironic in a way. Well, I, I I've had that that same conversation. Like, if you want it to taste like a burger, just eat the burger. Like, it's it's you know if if your idea is that you know tasting meat is is terrible and cruel and all this kind of stuff, yet you want to taste meat, that seems <laughs> to be a conflict of interest. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm kind of lost on that part, but now maybe, maybe it's worth trying. Might be, might be something to, you know, an interesting experiment. Yeah. Awesome. Well, did you, uh, did you have anything else for me? There is one thing that, uh, maybe I, I didn't quite understand, but, um, you said like at the, at the slaughterhouses, mm-hmm. um, they give them chocolate. Mm-hmm. which is pretty entertaining to think about but mm-hmm. because they're stressed why are they because do, do they like know that they're gonna die or like why are they stressed or did so, i miss something first of all not not every slaughterhouse gives them chocolate just i know that there are some who do for stress related <laughs> reasons but i thought that was kind of funny to throw in there but um yeah. the reason that they're stressed uh some people say it's because they know they're gonna die there hasn't been a whole lot to suggest that in some instances there have the reason they're mostly stressed though is because they spend their entire lives in a pasture or in a pen or, you know, in somewhere that they're comfortable with. And all of a sudden they're taken from there to a new environment. Mm. And, you know, animals are, are, or most livestock are, are routine animals. If you have to get them in their comfortable routine and then they're fine. If you take them to a slaughterhouse, you know, they're not, they're not doing their routine anymore. They're not around their family and friends. They're not around, you know, where they grew up and that stresses them out. So, you actually have a lot of slaughterhouses that will keep their cattle there for 30 days or so before they even slaughter them just to make sure that they're comfortable in their environment, that they're happy and they're that they're safe and all that kind of stuff before slaughtering them. Because if you slaughter them when they're too stressed, their meat tastes terrible. I mean, like there's, there's a, there's actually a thing called like dark cutters and dark cutters are, um, uh, dark cutters are the meat they were actually uh, created from animals that were too stressed. And so, but if you eat this meat, it'll like make you sick with how bad it is. And so, Ooh. yeah. So stress is, is like one of the, one of the things that they work their hardest on getting rid of. And so like, that's why I always like, you know, like you hear the arguments of like, you know, farmers don't care about their animals or farmers are just doing it for the profit. Well, they wanted the most profit. They wouldn't stress out their animals. That's kind of a counterproductive strategy there. They care about their animals and it gets them profit. So anyways, that's, that's beside the point, but yeah, no, they, they will they'll usually keep those animals in there for about 30 days or so feed them out give them you know whatever they want chocolate sweets whatever just to make them like you know calm down and then when they're actually going into the kill floor um actually a, a, a woman that i idolize quite a bit and i've read a, whole, a lot of her books uh, named temple grandin i'm not sure if you've ever heard of her um she designed modern slaughterhouses to lower the stress of animals because uh, she's autistic and she actually has this unique ability to see through the animal's eyes. So she thinks like an animal does. She thinks like livestock animals do. So she can like walk through a slaughterhouse and if there's like a crack in the fence where you can see the sun and it hits her in the eye, she's like, Oh, you need to patch that. That's why your animals aren't moving. And so it's, it's, it's kind of amazing how, how accurate she is to what the animals are thinking. And she designed slaughterhouses that, uh, they wind in, in, you know, in paths instead of going on a straight path, they have to wind 
because she figured out that animals, as they're turning, if they don't know where they're going, they're less likely to be stressed. Because if they, if they can see the cow in front of them, you know, drop to the floor, they probably know they're in trouble. And, you know, <laughs> everyone behind them is going to know they're in trouble. So if they, can, if they can lower the amount of time that they see that happening as, as much as possible, you lower the amount of stress that they develop as much as possible, and then their meat tastes better. I see. That's really smart. Yeah. So it's it, impressive. Literally, the entire animal agriculture industry is focused on keeping those animals as happy as possible. Like that's literally their number one job until they hit the floor. That's it. Wow. So, hope that kind of clears uh, clears that up for you. Yeah, that does. That's really interesting. Yeah. No, I I love animal science. It's, it's it's all really. I mean, like especially like animal behavior and like what causes animals to get stressed and what doesn't. It's all really interesting to me. Yeah. <clears throat> well, did I uh, answer all your questions or you got anything else you're curious about or? Um, that's basically it. I mean, I, I, what I tend to, <laughs> to pick up on questions as we, as we sort of uh, go along, which I really like. And yeah. it means that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm interested. I'm really interested about uh, this kind of stuff. It was really cool to, take a dive <laughs> yeah you seem really smart actually like about all this kind of how long have you been like doing agricultural sort of stuff so i got so it's kind of funny i grew up in like an agricultural town like, i grew up in central california you know surrounded by dairies and, and cornfields and my family was all involved in it i had no interest whatsoever in agriculture like i didn't care about it it was not my passion i didn't you know i, I, had, I had no interest in being involved in it and then i got into high school and I was like going into high school, I was, I was wanting to be like a mechanical engineer. I wanted to work with, you know, maybe work at a zoo, work with animals, you know, anything that, that wasn't agriculture. And then I got into high school and my parents made me try FFA. And I was like, you know what, fine, whatever. I'll try a year of it. Cause that was like, that was like our family deal was you had to try a year of it before you're allowed to give up. So my mom and dad did it in high school. My brother and sister both did it in high school. They all loved it. And then they made me try it. As soon as I got into high school, that you know no agriculture mentality just kind of flipped on me and i got really involved in taking care of cattle and doing public speaking and, and working on judging teams and coaching you know in in like you know being being a leader in my community like i was like you know within within two years of being in high school i went from like the super shy closed off kid that had no interest in agriculture to like one of the most outspoken ffa members of my chapter like everyone knew who i was because i was helping out kids and i was teaching them and all that kind of stuff well, while I was working on uh, a speech I was, I was doing, like when I was, when I was competing on speaking teams when I was in high school, I would do like just tons and tons and tons of research. Cause we had like three months to do research before we had our first contest. I would do at least like four hours worth of research every day for three months. So, wow. Yeah. And that was over the course of two years. And that's not to mention my t- my coaching hours. Cause I, I did that for my junior and senior year. And then after I graduated, my coach asked me to come back and help her coach the next generation. So I did even more research for them. And then when I started the podcast at the end of my senior year, and I did even more research for that. So it's fair to say I've done my homework. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I didn't, I didn't intend on this happening. I kind of just started doing research and I got like brain overload. And my mom was like, Hey, you know, instead of venting all your information to me, you should start a podcast and vent it onto there. I was like, <laughs> that's a good idea, which I'm pretty sure she was just tired of hearing me talk. Um, but yeah, so I started the podcast with a couple of friends of mine as a way of kind of like venting out everything that I had learned through my research and everything I learned from farmers I talked to and all that kind of stuff. And then it like over the course of almost three years now, it's evolved into this where now I try to vent all that research into other people. 
But, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of where I, where I came from, why I, why I know so much about what I know. And I mean, I, I never preach to know everything. You know, I, it's not possible to know everything, but um, I try to try to get as accurate as I can. And I always tell people if, if there's something I said that's wrong, you know, please let me know, point it out. So I don't, I don't make the same mistake again. I'm, I'm fine with being told I'm wrong as long as I get the accurate information out there. So. Yeah, that's, uh, <clears throat> that's impressive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least i'm glad that someone who's doing this sorry someone that's doing this um like you definitely knows what they're talking about <laughs> um that way that the information that's getting out there through this you know podcast and other ways is you know as accurate as it is yeah um, it's very educational and i think that it, what you're doing is um really good awesome well yeah i definitely appreciate that and you know i know that my I mean, I try to make my podcast a little bit more fun and comedic and that kind of stuff, but I know it's more, you know, somewhat of a more formal podcast. It's more educational. I do crack jokes and I do like, you know, play games and stuff like that, but it's, it's not the easiest podcast to get interested in just by hearing the idea behind it. But I find that a lot of people, when they're actually listening, when they're having, when they're having the conversations, when they're on the show, they tend to enjoy the information more than they thought they would. So I, I'm, I'm glad for that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, yeah, I think that that's, I mean, those are all the questions I had. I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to cover or anything else. Um, no, I think, I think, I think that's it. Awesome. Well, yeah, that puts us at almost exactly an hour, which is, I mean, average runtime for my episodes. So that works out perfectly for me. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So before we wrap out, I do want to give you the chance to plug anything you want to plug again, you know, plug your podcast, social media, whatever you want to do. Um, you know, tell people, tell people where they can find you or, or where they can't find you if you don't want to be found. <laughs> tell my address. <laughs> Come to my house. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. So just once again, I'm, I'm Sammy Jimenez. I run the comedy podcast called Sammy's Saga. You can look up on Google. I also have a website. Um, I just started like a little blog where I review uh, apps from Apple Arcade, that paid service to see if they're really worth the $5 a month. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. <laughs> thanks again for, uh, for coming on. I think it was a lot of fun. So oh, it was um, fun. Yeah. if you think of any more questions or if you have anything else you, you want to talk about, you can either message me or if it's quite a bit, I can bring you back on here and we can have a part two to this and, you know, kind of discuss some more. Ag the stuff. sequel yeah <laughs> so <laughs> for sure yeah yeah so i think that that's all i had for for you and if that's everything you have for me then that, that should be it for us so um yeah thanks again sammy for coming on thanks to Thank all my you for having me yeah thanks to all my guests and listeners for uh for tuning in and for always sticking around and supporting me and you know make sure you go check out sammy i'll have all of his links down in the description and i'll be tagging him in all the posts and all that kind of stuff so uh go check out sammy saga it's hilarious i enjoy listening to it whenever i need a good laugh <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's all I have for you guys. I hope to see you next week. And don't forget, if you wait today, thank a farmer. Mm-hmm.